the boss. Won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Tremors. Oh, baby. What a great fun movie. Such a silly movie, but it's so good. It does the thing that, for me, makes a classic horror movie, yeah. which it concentrates on the cast rather than the monsters. Characters. And the characters are all super interesting. Yeah. They're all very unique. Plus, it's got one of my favorite things in the world, best buddies. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, what a great <laughs> chemistry. living together in a weird shack. It's just such a fun movie. It's got that Stephen King thing of... Like really getting to know yeah. the characters before, yeah, the yeah, it's the fan. It really, they really, they don't. It, it kind of follows that same like alien kind of like you don't see the monsters until fur, way further into the movie, yeah. And and then when you do, it's just balls out. Like, all right, here we go. Yeah, it's like uh, an adult game of the ground is lava. Yeah, yeah, which is so cool. It's just there's so many neat little things about it that make it so much fun. Uh, this month we are doing. Uh, 90s horror. Yeah. We did 70s horror. It's going to be good, yeah. We did 80s horror. Yeah. So now we're doing 90s. We're doing this, we're doing Scream, and we're doing Candyman. Candyman. God, I haven't seen that in forever. But this opened up the 90s. 1990 was released. It's so good. It's such a great movie. It, it feels timeless. Like, it mm-hmm. doesn't, there's not a lot that's dating it. No. I mean, some of the trucks, maybe. But, like, for the most part, this is something that could have taken place now. Sure. It's isolated. You know, cell service probably wouldn't work. Uh, they did a really good job. Well, yeah. Definitely no <laughs> cell service. Yeah. <laughs> they did a really good job with the gummers, you know, making oh, preppers yeah. that are actually likable. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> all the characters are quirky and weird, but right. none of them. Are dislikable. All of no, them are, no. Are, are... I mean, if that movie was made today, Burt Gummer would just be a complete asshole. Sure. And it's like, he's not. He's just, he wants to be prepared. And that's one of the reasons why I love this movie, is they don't go typical BS roots of like, right. I don't believe this is happening. This isn't happening. Uh, or, you uh, know, my all least of the tr- favorite tropes, writing trope. Yeah, uh. All the crappy tropes in horror movies. It really kind of zigs when others zag, and it just is a fun, fun ride. It's, it's so much fun. It's been a little while since I've seen it. I do watch this more than most horror movies. It's probably yeah. been a, a good 10 years, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But just watching it again was so much fun. I, I remember distinctly when with Kevin Bacon of like uh, being like, this is so not him yeah. at all. Like, it's so against his type. And, it's so good. And he's so, so good. good. Yeah. Just little moments, his reactions. Yeah. Uh, everything, like... You know, his growth. Yeah, he, from, I mean, becoming the hero. Like, well, getting also, to the point where it's like the beginning, they just want to run away, and then it's... There's yeah. a lot of growing up. And, yeah. you know, going from that stupid five, you know, <laughs> un, you have to have, you know, boobs that won't quit, oh, these eyes, God, blonde yes, hair, and a yes. butt, and all, you know, this superficial his list. weird misogyny. That, yeah, yeah, that... Fred Ward's like, your list is stupid. Yeah. You're never going to find it. <laughs> and it's Fred Ward that is the voice of reason. <laughs> He's trying to push... When they meet Rhonda, they're trying to push together. And just like an organic love story. It's just everything happens so organically. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, it's one of those rare B-movies 
where everything fits together and makes it a, a complete cult classic. Yeah, yeah. It's just, at the end of the day, it's just so much fun. Yep. I, it is such a good, and there's some really good scares in it. Uh, yeah. But it's so much fun. The effects hold up. The, yeah. The, the grabbers or grubbers. Gra- graboids. The graboids. <laughs> they still look fine. Because, I mean, they were practical. And they yeah. looked. You oh, know, no, they were all practical. A little, yeah. like. You know, tongue things are a little, but they still even look good. They got the goop. They got it's the. It's still, I mean, like, it's creepy. Yeah. It's like when, when she's in that, the station wagon and they're like banging against the, win- the car windows. It's gross and really creepy. Yeah, it's great. Well, let's get yeah. going. All right. Take yourself back to 1990. Yeah. January 1st, the first internet companies catering to commercial users, PSINet and EUNet, begin selling internet access to commercial customers in the United States and Netherlands, respectively. Yeah, just for nerds. Wasn't until January first, nineteen ninety. That's so weird. Because I, I got on the internet shortly after that. I mean, sure, AOL yeah. happened. No, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, my body got online. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, but I, I got on AOL shortly after that. It wasn't too long. I didn't hit the internet for years, like until oh, the nineties. Really? I, I, I was the nerd. Of, I had a friend who was into it, and I was fascinated by it. But I didn't really have a computer for years. It was oh, weird. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. January 13th, Douglas Wilder becomes the first elected African-American governor as he takes office in Richmond, Virginia. Crazy that that Took until 1990. Crazy. (laughs) Uh, January 15th, telephone service in Atlanta, St. Louis, and Detroit, including 911 service, goes down for nine hours on Martin Luther King Day due to an AT&T software bug. Yeah, the software bug is AT&T is racist. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's what I was definitely implying. Yes. I'm no fan. Allegedly. I'm no fan of AT&T. <laughs> if you've listened to the show, you know how much I oh, loathe them. And terrible. I can't believe how happy I've been since I've divorced myself from all AT&T oh, yeah. products. Yeah. I got my folks. I think they're hitting to t- heading to T-Mobile. Oh, really? Good. Yeah, because there's the AT&T, too. F you, AT&T. Yeah, AT&T is bad. Uh, January 19th, Tremors is released in theaters. Graboid. Uh, it was, it's one of those, like, it, it. I mean, and we'll talk about this, but it should have come out the year before, but... Unfortunately, uh, Post pushed it back to January. And you would think in January, it's like, oh, it's where they dump all the crappy yep. movies and all that. But Especially back then. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that being said, obviously, this became a cult classic for a reason. So. I think, and I know we'll get into it, but I honestly believe that if they would have released it in 89 as an R-rated movie, it would have been a hit. I agree. And I if agree. they had a decent marketing plan. I agree. Uh, yeah, well, they had the support of the studio. <laughs> yeah, mother hopper! Yeah. <laughs> so the concept of Tremors was originally conceived in the early 1980s when writers S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock were working for the United States Navy as filmmakers in charge of creating educational safety videos. Sounds fun. <laughs> While getting footage, the two climbed a large desert boulder and asked the question, What if there was something that wouldn't let us off of this rock? That inspired the two to start brainstorming ideas for a monster movie, which was eventually dubbed Land Sharks. Land Shark. <laughs> I just I, love the fact that they're working for the Navy, and they're like, let's climb on this rock and play pretend. <laughs> that sounds like so much fun. That's what I would do. Oh, yeah. But that just reminds me of the SNL sketch with yes. Skitch. Yes. It's not a Skitch. It's no, a it's sketch. a Sketch. The yes. F- Ethanol, well, the SNL is why they eventually changed the Red Bull's kicking yeah. in. But, uh, oh, God, that was a funny funny sketch it was with, great uh, chevy chase it was the Ding beginning dong. beginning of snl one note joke that was so funny yeah. candy graham <laughs> i think you're a, a shark no and i'm uh, uh, flower delivery uh, pizza delivery and then they'd open the door and the shark was shark and they would oh, yeah. simple concept they did that like 15 times <laughs> yes jaws baby they shared their idea to their friend ron underwood 
who was working with National Geographic as a documentary director and used his knowledge of zoology to better develop the land sharks into creatures that could realistically exist. They did. Do they even explain like how it propels itself? Yeah, and yeah. It, it seems biologically sound. I'm yeah. not a biologist. I'm really, really glad that they made the the college student, uh, the grad student, or yeah. whatever, not a biologist and just a seismologist. Right. Because it would have just been too easy to like. It's like that's what I love about Bacon constantly. Like, what do we do? And she's like, Why are you asking what? me? It's like, I don't know. Because well, you're smart. Yeah, well, it's compared, you know, in the, in the, everybody in town. Yeah. In the Man. land of the blind, the one eyed yeah. grad student is queen. Yeah. Uh, they would spend the next handful of years returning the idea, but never fully fleshing it out. One of the first movies Underwood worked on was Future World in 1976 as a production assistant. That was a sequel to Westworld, wasn't Correct. it? Correct. Yeah. yeah. The film starred Blythe Danner and Peter Fonda, actors he would later direct in 2004, a TV movie called Back When We Were Grown-Ups. During the filming of Future World, one of his tasks was to babysit a young Gwyneth Paltrow while her mother, Ms. Danner, was shooting. Ugh. Boy. Oh, <laughs> Even boy. back then, she couldn't stop about talk. Stop, okay, I'm just going to uh, nope. say that. Nope, I know. What you were gonna say. <laughs> say that she wasn't making candles back then, Adam. No. Soon after, Underwood served as a location manager on the Peter Hyams directed motion picture Capricorn One in 1978. Oh, that's a guilty pledge. Oh uh, yeah, that's got a O.J. Simpson in it. It does. It's He's like the fake of making of the moon. Landing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While working these films, Underwood was shooting short films, mostly educational films, for a production company called Bar Films. He would shoot hundreds of shorts, including Deer in the Works, a Kurt Vonnegut short story that was adapted by Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson and starring Dennis Dugan. Nice. That's a good story. Yeah. Oh, I love Vonnegut. I miss Vonnegut. I need to reread him. The guy, he was one of my favorite I, authors. In college, my second to last year in college, because he went to the University of Iowa, mm. like he was big in the writer's workshop there. I uh, got to see him speak, and it was incredible. That is incredible. One of the most incredible, like, talks I've ever been to, because he was just so down-to-earth and just so, like, he was he's old hilarious. at that point, so he was just like, whatever. He was in Back to School. Yeah. He's with the... so great. Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. I mean, he had a sense of humor. Yeah. I got in high school, I just, I was in, like, a English class that taught a couple of his books and i just was hooked man oh I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, anything i could get a breakfast champions is one of my favorite books yeah yeah i player piano i i, I just, he's so good he's yep. so good. everything maddock and wilson met in 1975 while working on a short film that maddock wrote and wilson directed called recorded live uh maddock and wilson would hit it big in 1986 writing the screenplay for short circuit Number five is alive! <laughs> oh, man. I was so mad at that movie for that line because they put it in the trailer and it wasn't until literally the last line of the show. I say that every time you mention it just to elicit that response from God. the trailer. The film was a surprise hit, grossing $40 million off a $15 million budget. Uh, it also, Short Circuit also spawned a sequel in 1988 that was written by Maddock but, and Wilson but didn't perform as well as the original despite better reviews. I don't even remember what the uh, sequel was about. I don't either. It was, I think he gets a job as a short order cook, and then... <laughs> anyway? No, I don't Was Fisher remember. Stevens in it? With yeah. His, yeah. With in his, fact, uh, I want to say, I think Fisher Stevens was technically the lead. With his groundbreaking role as an Indian... Yeah. American. <laughs> the success of Short Cir Circuit and Steven Spielberg's love of the concept turned Batteries Not Included into a feature film. Do you remember Batteries Not Included? I definitely do. It had Don Amici in it. it and did. it was about a down and out uh, a bunch of people in an apartment building and yeah. a bunch of little tiny Forced Whitaker aliens. And little, yeah, little aliens. It was cute. And, it was yeah. a good movie. It was originally supposed to be a feature on Amazing Tales, the TV show, but Spielberg thought it would do well with a family-friendly audience. Ended up making over $65 million off a $25 million budget. It was a very cute little movie. Yeah. 
From that, Madigan Wilson did story consultant work on The Land Before Time, which was being produced by a new offshoot of Amblin Entertainment called Amblimation. Uh, hey guys, yeah, we're going to consult on Land Before Time. I just I don't believe the dinosaurs spoke. I could be wrong, but um, I'm just saying, you're, you're taking a big risk there. I literally included this just because I wanted to say amblimation. Amblimation. <laughs> Which I don't think really existed of this. And actually, a uh, guest of the show, his dad wrote The Land Before Time. Who? Uh, Gus Krieger. Oh, yeah, nice. His dad wrote The Land Before Time. Well, then I'll stop teasing it. <laughs> uh, and Wilson started shopping around their land shark script again, but opted to change the title so as to not, not make readers think it was about the SNL sketch of the same name. Land shark. <laughs> they changed the title to Beneath Perfection, the name of the town it's set in. Not much better. No. Uh, at the same time that Maddock and Wilson were gaining popularity for Short Circuit, Ron Underwood was also making a name for himself. He established himself as a director when his live-action stop-motion film adaptation of Beverly Cleary's The Mouse and the Motorcycle won a Peabody Award, which was followed two years later in 1988 by the sequel Runaway Ralph, for which he received a Daytime Emmy nomination. The Mouse and the Motorcycle is really good. Have you seen it? Yeah. 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 Uh, so <clears throat> now the writers and the director set, they decide to go with casting. Uh, yeah, because they need a cast, they need Adam. need a cast. It's not uh, an animated it's not movie. A, it's not a big cast, but it's a cast. You're going to need it. Uh, the cast Kevin Bacon is Val McKee, Valentine McKee. Uh, almost all the actors were cast through open auditions, a rare practice for studio films. There were offers, however, for the role of Valentine McKee to Bill Paxton, Matthew Modine, and Bruce Campbell, among others, before Universal cast Kevin Bacon due to his star power. All great actors, but I don't think they would have captured the character as well as Kevin Bacon. I agree. He, I there agree. was such an innate likability. And also, he, he wasn't dumb. No. But he wasn't smart, and you could right. see things working in his mind. And but he was aware of that. Like he is not. He wasn't one of those like, right? Oh, right. I hate everything because I'm dumb. He no, kind of no. was self aware to the fact that you know. It's just it was well, a very interesting that's his relationship with Fred Ward, yeah. and that he always kind of because he thought Fred Ward was smarter than he was. Sure. So he just always was kind of like, okay, you know what you're doing because he's older. Yeah. Well, and he's like, like you're. I'm going along with it because it's it, you're. Oh, you. Made a good good choice. Good decision. sugar daddy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, in 1982, Bacon portrayed Timothy Fenwick in Barry Levinson's film Diner, co-starring Steve Gutenberg, Daniel Stern, Mickey Rourke, Tim Daly, and Ellen Barkin. An amazing movie if you haven't seen it. I've never seen Diner. Ah, such a great I, movie. We will cover it at some point. And unfortunately, probably the best thing that uh, Barry Levinson's done. Oh, you think so? I think so. I mean, I know uh, the... No, he's done. He well, he did uh, that uh, Tom Cruise movie with the brother. Yeah. Oh, Rain Twenty Man. minutes Rain Man. Twenty minutes yeah. to And he did his Baltimore Balmer I mean, he trilogy. Did, he did an Oscar for that. <laughs> great movie, still, but still, it's yeah. like it. it but Diner watch was, it today. Was great. Yeah. It, it doesn't hold up as well, in my opinion. Yeah, but yeah. Diner still does. And Diner, the thing that's so great about that is you see all of these amazing actors at the beginning of their careers, right? And it's right. like every right. single one of those guys went on went to on. have like. You have know, pretty a big career, career, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they're all so great, and it's just a fun movie about friends. It's part of his Baltimore trilogy, right? Which also includes uh, Tin Men about uh, the selling aluminum siding, okay, with which you Dreyfus, and then there was a third one that I can't remember. <laughs> but I love Barry Levinson. Uh, but if you haven't seen Diner, excellent, excellent movie. Uh, so Bacon's portrayal of Timothy Fenwick made an impression on critics and audiences, and he parlayed that into the lead role in Footloose, which made him a superstar. Yeah? Yeah, it was huge. I just want to dance. 
<laughs> you turn him into John Travolta. Yes, this is what Travolta was originally supposed to have. But oh, my favorite part of Footloose is when he has his anger dance in the barn. Oh yeah, the the, the well placed like rod where he jumps up and he's doing like the the acrobatic circles. Like hey, it's man. great. He was mad. It's great. He was so mad. He danced it out, Jim. Well, he got him to dance. Uh, unfortunately, Bacon was typecast for a while with parts that were very similar to his roles in Diner and Footloose. You're like Quicksilver. Yeah. Which yeah. is a great movie. I tell you, I love that movie. Look, that was another Kevin, one that was on all the time. Kevin Bacon has all of these hidden gems that didn't oh, do yeah, really well yeah. but should have that are just a victim of either poor timing Poor advertising, or it's like it just seems like Hollywood never really knew what to do with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a shame. Yeah, it, yeah, it really was too bad. Uh, due to the, being typecast, he started rejecting these parts and sought out as many against type parts as he could. This included "She's Having a Baby" in 1988 and "The Big Picture" in 1989. Oh, have you seen "The Big Picture"? Oh yeah! Oh, oh yeah. my god, that is one of my favorite. That's one of the reasons things. I wanted to come to Hollywood. Was yeah. "The Big Picture." It, it did a good job of. It really did a good job of uh, portraying independent film and, yeah. and the yeah. uh, predatory studio system. Uh, at the time of filming, during the spring of 1989, Kevin Bacon's wife, Kira Sedgwick, was in her third trimester of pregnancy with the couple's first child, uh, what they would later name Travis. Yes. They were thanked in the credits. Yeah, they were. Both Travis and... Uh, and Travis is like in his 40s now. 30s. <laughs> 30s. Yeah, yeah. With cell phones virtually non-existent in 1989, a telephone was installed on the set in order to allow Bacon to remain in touch with his wife from the set's isolated location. Yeah, the cell phones they had at the time were the size of a shoebox. Yeah, and they were they were not efficient And they didn't all. have good range, no. <laughs> you can talk for 29 seconds, and then it cuts out. Right, and it cost you $4,000. Yeah. Bacon's wife went into labor during his last day on the set right after filming of the scene where Walter is killed by the graboid. Oh, no. Uh, the couple's son, Travis, was born June 23rd, 1989. Uh, the stress of a pregnant wife and being in the middle of nowhere led Bacon to resent being in Tremors, only agreeing to do it because he needed money for his new marriage and upcoming newborn child. Probably had a lot of anger issues back then. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, his career wasn't... I'm sure everything you just said about yeah. Bacon and all this, it's like I'm sure he was internalizing all well, of that. He's complained about that, and rightly so. Look, I mean, he's had all of these films that were supposed to be huge, like right. The Invisible Man or this yeah, or that. Hollow Man. Hollow Man sorry, yeah. yes. You know, and unfortunately, not great movies, but he's always great in them. And it just, yeah. it just, it, he, 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 I think he got, like you said, like he got really frustrated and then was like, F it, I'm just going to yep. be a, yeah. a supporting actor, do whatever. When the film was not financially successful, Bacon feared his career was over and in following years would refuse to acknowledge the film's existence and even called it the worst thing I ever did. However, Bacon would eventually come around to Tremors, calling the filming of Tremors to be the single most fun I ever had making a movie in my entire career. Uh, in 2012, and later admitting in a 2020 interview, When I was making Tremors, I was very depressed, and at a low point in my life, and I kind of blamed Tremors for all of that. I, I was bitter against it. I thought I was a career killer. I, I never watched my movies more than once. Some of my movies I've never even seen before. I have no desire to. But I've watched Tremors a dozen times. I love it so much. And I spent years trying to capture the same energy we had on the set of Tremors. It's one of my favorite films of all time. He came around. Well, he's Tremors smart. won him over. <laughs> well, because it really is. It, yeah. Strangely, strangely enough, it's probably one of the most nuanced performances he's ever given. Oh, agreed. And I think agreed. he was given the freedom from the director to really develop that. Yeah. And and develop a relationship with Fred Ward. I mean, it's just, it really gave him a lot to work with in his wheelhouse. Yeah. Which is being charming and 
just an amazing actor. It's just yeah. His his growth and change in this movie is so subtle and so good. By the time you realize he's becoming the hero, it's like yeah. oh, this all makes sense. Yeah, it's like, just it's, great. It's so good. Obviously, it did not kill Bacon's career. He'll be nominated for four Golden Globes and five Screen Actor Guild Awards, winning a SAG Cast Award for Apollo 13. He's great. In 2009, he would appear in Taking Chance, a TV movie that won him a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in a Miniseries or a Motion Picture Made for Television, and a Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Miniseries or Television Movie, as well as being nominated for an Emmy. Damn, was that about, like, kidnapping or something? Um, no, I don't remember. I don't remember what it's about. Uh, I think it's a military thing. I think it's a military movie. Um, In true Kevin Bacon fashion, he has four projects coming up in the next couple of years. Great. A remake of The Toxic Avenger from 1984 with Peter Dinklage as The Toxic Avenger. That just came out. It's it's coming out soon. I just read it. Yeah, there was a review of it. It's coming out soon. Uh, The the trailer just dropped from what I recall. I think it was just a couple days ago. A cameo in Leave the World Behind from Sam Esmail, who created Mr. Robot, being released on Netflix in December of 2023. All right. An unknown role in the upcoming Beverly Hills Cop Axel Foley, also set to be released on Netflix. I'm going to guess bad guy. Possibly. He does a good bad He does. He does. And he's also going to be in Maxine, the third and final installment of the X trilogy following X and Pearl, all written and directed by Ty West. Oh, that's awesome. Have you seen those movies? No, not yet. uh, Since October's here, I'm going to watch them. X is great. Uh, It made me want to see Pearl because the character of Pearl in X is really exciting. I liked X so much because it really captured that 70s horror vibe unlike anything I've seen. Recently, yeah. it very, very much reminded me of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah, yeah, like I can totally see that, yeah, yeah. And it's got Jenna Ortega, and yeah. it's got, it's really good cast. I highly recommend it, especially for spooky season. Yeah, yeah. So Pearl wasn't as good? I haven't finished. Oh, I haven't you haven't watched Pearls. it? Okay, gotcha. Pearls? Gotcha. I haven't seen Pearls. Pearls. <laughs> but I think they're both on They're on Showtime, Showtime. which uh, or is now Paramount it, Plus. Well, or, yeah, technically Paramount Plus. If you pay extra, sure, you don't, you don't. Yeah, but we, we, yes, I plan on watching on Showtime. Uh, Fred Ward was cast as Earl Bassett. Oh, I love Fred God, Ward! He's so good in this movie. Jack Palance was considered for the part of Earl Bassett, but Ron Underwood was too afraid to reach out and ask if he was interested. I'm too scared to ask him. Plus, he's a thousand years old, and I don't think he would have been good for the it action. It wouldn't parts. have made any, because then there definitely would have been Sugar Daddy vibes between <laughs> yeah. Bacon and Palance. It would have been a different movie, but God, Fred, I can't imagine anybody but yeah. Fred Ward playing that part. Totally, totally. Fred Ward's father was an alcoholic criminal who was repeatedly imprisoned, and his mother left him when Fred was three. Good Lord. Terrible childhood. He was then raised by his grandmother until his mother had rebuilt her life, and remarried a carnival worker. All right. Okay, carny. A few steps forward, may I step back? Hey, man, I know what it's like to lose your dad at three, and yeah. it Fs you up. Yeah, yeah. Before acting, Ward spent three years in the United States Air Force. Uh, he was also a boxer, breaking his nose three times. Yeah, well, you could definitely see it. <laughs> and he worked as a lumberjack in Alaska, a janitor, and a short order cook. Oh, what a cool dude. Uh, he just was like, I, whatever I got to do, I'm going to do it. He just reminds me of the 70s drifters, like the yeah. Hulk and stuff, just going from town to town, washing dishes and stuff. So we need a movie about Fred Ward. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Becoming an actor. But we, nobody could star in it except for yeah, Fred Ward. Ward. Yeah, yeah. He studied acting at New York's Herbert Berghoff Studio after serving in the U.S. Air Force. His first major role came in the Clint Eastwood vehicle Escape from Alcatraz in 1979 as fellow escapee John Anglin. Great movie. Fantastic movie. Great performance. Uh, Ward played a violent National Guardsman in Walter Hill's Southern Comfort in 1981, starring Keith Carradine and Powers Booth. Ooh. Uh, which I've never seen. I've seen. Southern don't Comfort. remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, his 
first starring role in a motion picture was Time Rider, The Adventure of Lyle Swan in 1982, about a cross-country dirt bike racer in the 1980s who was mistakenly sent back in time to 1877. Such a cool movie. Have you seen that movie? No. Oh, no. Wait, but I, cool? It's on my list. It's on uh, YouTube, I think. So it's like I've got it on my list. It, and if I'm remembering correctly, he's got this rad, like, red kind of motorcycle suit on. Yeah. And... I think he has like an Uzi or a Mac Ten that com- that he brings back to, you oh, know, to really? 1877 and, com- wow. and kind of like turns the tide on. Wow, <laughs> it looks so bizarre. I could be wrong. It's been years since I've seen that movie. There but... was a spate of these movies where people suddenly were in, in a time period they weren't supposed to be in. He's another guy that didn't really get his due. Yeah, you know, Remo Williams was such a good movie, yeah. The Adventures of Reno- Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, or whatever. It was Remo called. Williams, The Adventure Begins. Right. Yeah. Another problematic uh, performance by Jeff Gray playing an Asian man. But uh, other than that, such a fun, great movie. And Fred Ward was such a likable, tough, but soft. You know, there's so much, so many layers to him. He had a crusty exterior, but a nice soft middle. (laughs) Exactly. But his looks gave him that, like, old school Bronson. Tough, tough tough guy guy of the 60s, you know. But he's so, yeah. But he had that soft little middle. <laughs> so, Time Rider was scored, produced, and co-written with director William Deere by Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, he, Michael Nesmith is a weirdo. Weird Michael host. Nesmith, his mother invented Whiteout, well, and he was a rich, rich man. There you go. That, that it directly explains why he would make Time Rider. Well, he was also a prolific producer. He was. I know, I know. He did. He ended up uh, producing... Uh, Arrow. N- no, the, no, I... Um, uh, the John Cusack movie, uh, Hot Pursuit. No, with them as the record producers. Um, how we covered it. The record producer. Oh, movie? oh, oh! Uh, uh, Tapeheads. Tapeheads. Michael Nesmith was the reason that Tapeheads existed. Yeah, and also and, and the Alex Cox movie, uh, um, Repo Man. In 1983, Fred Ward starred as astronaut Gus Grissom in The Right Stuff, in the action movie Uncommon Valor with Gene Hackman, and in the drama Silkwood, starring Meryl Streep, Kurt Russell, and Cher. I just remember in The Right Stuff when he had the enema and they're all running around because they got a poop. Oh. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm glad that's the scene you remember. Just remember the pooping scene, that's it. In 1985, Ward played the title here in the action movie Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, which was directed by Guy Hamilton. Oh, great uh, movie. The film was supposed to be the first of a series of based on the Destroyer series of novels. The movie, though the movie was well promoted and he appeared on several movie magazine covers, it only grossed about $15 million. They didn't know how to market it. it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I remember that. loved that movie. So did I. So did everybody who saw it. It's just, again, there was this dirge of marketing that's just like yeah. whoever was in charge of marketing in like the 90s and late 80s just didn't know what they were doing well this is why 15 years later all they're doing now is remakes because it's yeah. way easier to market stuff you already know sure because they're lazy yep. <laughs> uh would have a long prolific career appearing in movies such as henry and june the player swing shift shortcuts and 30 minutes or less henry and june Great movie. The player, Robert Altman, yes, amazing. He's movie. so good in it. Yeah. Uh, swing Shift. All right. Okay, yeah. Very good. Uh, Shortcuts, again, Robert, Robert Altman, Altman, amazing yeah. movie. Yeah. Shortcuts is based on a bunch of Raymond Carver short stories. And this he does this story. It's, it's he and Huey Lewis and a couple other guys oh, yeah. are on a fishing yeah. trip. And yeah. They find yeah, this body, yeah, yeah. but then they decide like they don't want to ruin their fishing trip. Yeah. It was just really weird. And then the repercussions afterwards. Ann Archer plays his wife. Yeah. 
It was one of the – if you <laughs> haven't seen Shortcuts, definitely check it out. The player, too. It's great. Yeah. Robert Altman, this is when he was at his prime. Like, he was so Exactly. Yeah. And there's no other filmmaker like Altman. He does – he loves noise. Yeah. He has all the extras actually talking. There's just, like, you you can put your attention anywhere. It's just a right. very realistic – um, uh, he's uh, he's fantastic. Unbelievable way of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fred Ward's last role was playing the father of Colin Farrell's detective in the second season of HBO's True Detective. Yeah, he was great. Unfortunately, Fred Ward died on May 8th, 2022, at the age of 79. Uh, it was never revealed how he died, but his last wish was for memorial tributes to be made to Boston University's chronic traumatic encephalopathy, wow, encephalopathy center, implying a brain disease. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but unf- yeah, it's unfortunate. He had a good run, really good run, but even 79 is too young. Yeah, especially he had so much more work to do. Yeah. Boston University's my alma mater. Yeah. Uh, Finn Carter was cast as Rhonda LeBeck. Rhonda! The uh, college student. Uh, see, college student. She's a grad, grad student. student. I mean, technically still in college, but. Okay. Uh, I just, when you say college student, you think of them as being like 18, and she's not. Uh, Carter started as a theater actor and scored a role in the CBS daytime soap opera As the World Turns from 1985 to 1988. Soap operas were just about every actor that you know from 60s, yeah. 70s, and 80s, and 90s. That's where they got their start. Uh, that, and then it turned into Law & Order. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, As the World Turns was my mother's favorite soap opera, so I'm sure I probably saw her in this. Well, sure. And also, like, a lot of soap operas shoot in New York. And same thing with Law & Order. Yeah. And then... All these theater actors, yeah, right, that's how right. they pay it their was, bills. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm just going to go do a, a stint on the, the, you know, whatever. It's so crazy. It's money. Uh, for the scene in which Rhonda had to get out of her jeans to escape the grab boy about to eat her, Finn Carter intentionally didn't rehearse the scene. That way, the response she gives to having to undress in front of Kevin Bacon in less than five seconds was authentic. Uh, you know. I guess it adds realism. Sure. I'm just glad she was wearing clean underpants. <laughs> yes, she was. She was. She later had a recurring role in the ABC drama series China Beach. In 1992, she played the leading role in the action film Sweet Justice, also starring Frank Gorshin and Mark Singer. <laughs> okay. It looks um, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, Frank Gorshin. Frank Gorshin's great. He played the At original that point, Riddler. He was 95 years old. <laughs> yeah, probably not as good. Uh, yeah. Mark Singer, he was the Beastmaster. And, and, and that's, somebody else. You want to talk about somebody that should have had a bigger career? <laughs> Mark Singer? Yeah. Yeah, he was good as the Beastmaster. He just, he's got that, like, B-movie action totally. vibe. You totally. know, the same thing is, is uh, uh, not Fernando Lamas, but... Uh, uh, Lorenzo Lamas. Lorenzo Lamas yeah. from, yeah. from Greece. From Greece, yeah. You know, all those guys, you it's know, the Hercules like, guy that's a jerk There's something now. about you, Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. There's just something about you that doesn't make you a leading actor right. or a big A-list actor. Yeah. And it's it's unfortunately... I loved Beastmaster. Sure. And I thought he was going to be huge, and then he just kind of disappeared. Yeah. The Beastmaster was great. We'll definitely cover oh that. Oh, God. Uh, I love yeah, that cool movie so those ferrets. Yeah. Uh, in 1986, uh, she had a supporting part in Rob Reiner's drama Ghosts of Mississippi. The following year, she guest starred on Law and Order, Murder, she wrote, Diagnosis, Murder, ER, The Outer Limits, NYPD Blue, Chicago Hope, Judging Amy, Strong Medicine, and CSI Crime Scene Investigation. Uh, unfortunately, Carter has fallen on some hard times in recent years, getting arrested in Las Vegas in 2019 for a stolen car and 14 counts of possessing a credit card without the cardholder's consent. Oh, no. Uh, both charges are felonies. Prosecutors had 90 days to file a criminal complaint. Carter was released from custody by a justice of the peace with the promise to return for an October court date despite not having a permanent address. Oh, no. And that's all I could find. I have no idea what happened. I don't know if she showed up at court, if she was charged, or if her alleged substance abuse got the better of her. 
Oh. It's a this was a while ago, so I mean there should be something. Yeah. But all the research I did, I could not find out if she actually is in prison now or what. I hope not. That stuff just breaks my heart. You know, the the sister from that seventies show or yeah. the sister from different stroke. A lot of sisters. Oh, yeah. SAG needs to do something yeah, to help yeah. these people. Some, you know? something, yeah, some sort of something, foundation yeah. or something. Yeah, it's it's. I, there was a Facebook comment on an article that sounded like it was somebody that knew her, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to include it because it's Facebook. Right. So I don't know if they knew her or not. Sure. I just it just especially with this, it makes me so sad because I had forgotten how much I liked her yeah. in this movie, and like yeah. it's like oh man, she was so charming and like worked so well with Kevin Bacon mm-hmm. and Fred Ward, and like she was so good in this, and it yeah. just makes me sad. Too bad they didn't. If they would have brought her back for some of the sequels, maybe. <sighs> She should have. I mean, you know. But speaking of the sequels, uh, Michael Gross was cast as Burt Gummer. I love Michael Gross. Oh, my God. He's so good in this movie. I just love my favorite is when he gets so mad and Reba McIntyre's like pull him down. It's like, come on, man. It's like, no, you're the hippie dad from Family Ties. No. He's just like, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take a pipe bomb and I'm gonna walk out and just blow up and blow them all up. She's like, Jesus, honey. She's like, good oh, lord, lord, dear. Good lord, dear. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Uh, Gross came to fame playing Stephen Keaton on the sitcom Family Ties for 171 episodes over seven years. That was a juggernaut with Michael Huge. J. Fox. Huge. Justine Huge. Bateman. Justine Bateman. Uh, Courtney Cox was on it? I didn't. I just yeah. was reading about that this morning. She was actually. like his girlfriend. I think later later years, yeah. In fact, Gross began rehearsals for Tremors only one day after shooting the very last episode of Family Ties. Wow. Uh, Burt's 1989 GMC Jimmy was Gross's personal vehicle. Nice. Uh, he bought it brand new in 1988 and kept it until 1997. That's very practical. Uh, and then he actually bought another one and, and used it for another like 15 years. Well, it's got a good name, the GMA. It does. It does. Uh, producers asked Gross to audition as they thought his sitcom star power would help sell the film. Well, it's also such great casting. Yeah. To, I love it when actors just go 100% against type. Right. And they're right. just like, F my last role. I am going to do this. Uh, Gross has had a long career appearing on television shows including... Boston Legal, How I Met Your Mother, Batman Beyond, ER, Parks and Recreation, Law and Order, and two of its spinoffs, SVU and Criminal Intent. Probably playing different characters every time. I Yes. In fact, I want to say I think he was on Law and Order a couple of times. Oh, he has been. I, yeah. I definitely remember him on SVU. Yeah. I'm an SVU head. Gross is the only actor to appear in every single Tremors-related movie and TV project. God love him. <laughs> Way to hang on, like, buddy. And we'll talk about it more in, in a little bit. Well, good but, for him. But he, he, he found career stability. And you know what else he does? He goes to a lot of conventions. Oh, yeah. And oh, man, does he make money doing that. That's great. Reba McIntyre was cast as Heather Gummer, Burt's wife. Uh, the director said it was he was uninterested when Reba McIntyre asked to audition for the film, saying he had grown tired of seeing celebrities trying to become actors, even if they cannot act, and that it was gimmicky casting. Ooh. No, well, take a stand there, Ron Underwood. However, after begrudgingly letting her audition, he was blown away by her performance and realized she was a great natural actress, immediately knowing she was perfect for Heather Gummer. See, good for him. Look, yeah. preconceived notions, and he changed his mind because he's a smart dude. But I, I, I agree with him. You know, it's yeah. like stunt casting yeah. is, you know, it's distracting. It's, a, it's an, an executive decision. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, we got to do this. And it's Put like, Taylor Swift. It's, you know what it is? It's exactly like this stupid, uh, the new season of American Horror Story. Oh, with Kim Kardashian. And it's like, I'm not going to watch it because of that. I will say, though, I will say, and I'm not a huge fan of Taylor Swift, I really want to see if she can act. Sure. Because she's got such personality. Well, Taylor Swift is actually 
extremely talented. Yes. And I'm yes. sorry, but uh, Kim Kardashian is not. Is not. <laughs> oh, look, I've never seen a, an episode of the Kardashians. I don't know. Maybe it's a great show, but it's to a me, reality just, show. How is it a great show? I don't know. She married. It's following them around, being annoying. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't. I don't know. Anyway, not, there's no acting in that. That's not. You don't look at that and go, "Oh yeah, she'd be great playing Heather Gummer." <laughs> you know, it's like okay, enough. The year after Tremors, she starred in then made-for-television movies The Gambler Returns, The Luck of the Draw with Kenny Rogers, and The Man from Left Field, written, directed, and starring Burt Reynolds. Mr. Burt Reynolds! Which I've never seen. I need to watch that. You Uh, probably don't. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. In 1996, McIntyre was cast by director James Cameron as Molly Brown in his film Titanic. She would have been great. Uh, She would have been great. However, when it became apparent production for the film would extend well beyond its original length, McIntyre had to turn down the part as she had already scheduled prior concert engagements. Oh. Because she was a woman of her honor. She said, look, her first and foremost was that she was a singer. Sure. And she had to take care of her fans. Uh, You got to honor your contracts. The role was recast with Kathy Bates. She did a great job. Who I believe she did. she win an Oscar for that? I don't know. Maybe I she, was she was definitely nominated, nominated, but I don't remember if she won. Oh, put it on the pile, Kathy. Yeah. You talented, talented bastard. She was so good in that. But you're right. After seeing Tremors, Reba McIntyre would have been fantastic. Sure. Kathy Bates is great in everything. She's just a powerhouse. Yeah. Yeah. And Reba, Reba McIntyre is just extremely likable. Yes. And in this movie, she was perfectly cast. And her chemistry Perfect. with Michael Gross, I think with a different actor opposite Michael Gross might not have been as good a performance because they played off of each yep. other so well. Oh, no. They, she really allowed him to go against type. I believed that they were a couple, and they yep. both had the same vision of how they need to live in the desert and be away from people. <laughs> the scene of them in the basement <laughs> with their wall of guns going <laughs> the after reveal the graboid. Of I just love that it just pans over and oh. it's just giant wall of guns. Just when she's got the double fist in, <laughs> she's double-wielding them shoot. pistols, and he's shooting, the, and he gets the elephant gun. Oh, Almost <laughs> to the point of parody, but not quite. No, because it seems plausible. Yeah. You know, we all know it's just, people it's like just, They that. just kept cutting back to different guns and shooting. It was just so funny. So funny. It was funny. Uh, in 2001, Reba scored her own sitcom called Reba that ran for 126 episodes. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually remember watching most of this. Really? I don't know why. Yeah. It was okay. one of those. I was like, I think she was charming. And sure. I was like, okay. Hey, no shame. Yeah. It was just, I think it was the right time. And it's I just weird. happened to catch it. I know. I know. She most recently can be seen in the Lifetime TV movie Reba McIntyre's The Hammer as a traveling circuit judge in Nevada, apparently with a giant hammer. Yeah, I've seen the pictures on Hulu, <laughs> I think. <laughs> uh, no, she's just, it's, she's actually, it's actually based off a real lady who, um, a real woman judge who was the, one of the last traveling circuit judges in the country. Really? Yeah. Okay. They don't really do it anymore, apparently. Uh, Bobby Jacoby was cast as Melvin Plug, which I did not realize his last name was Plug. Plug. Uh, a local boy who constantly irritates people with his pranks. Uh, Jacoby's real name is Robert Jane, who went by Bobby Jacoby as a child actor, appearing in tons of TV shows. Yeah, he did. Perfect Strangers, Knott's Landing, The Greatest American Hero, St. Elsewhere, Manimal, The Love Boat, Highway to Heaven, Murder. She wrote, Different Strokes, Who's the Boss, TJ Hooker, The 18, Cagney and Lazy, Hill Street Blues, The Wonder Years, Jake and the Fat Man, Land of the Lost, Walker, Texas Ranger, Baywatch, Tremors, and The Lazarus Man. Uh, he also appeared in the feature films Iron Eagle, Meet the Applegates, and Wizards of the Lost Kingdom 2, starring David Carradine. Nice. We had a... Uh... <laughs> he is definitely not his brother, <laughs> Billy Jane, who we thought was... Jim was like, he's the kid from Just One of the Guys, yeah. which is a great movie. Yeah. The little brother from Just One of the Guys. Yeah. So I had to look it up, and it turns out, no, he's not. 
his brother is Billy Jane, who also changed his name, like Weird. when he turned eighteen. Yeah. It just it got it was yeah. convoluted. We couldn't tell if it was the same guy with different names or brothers or whatever. Plus, there's another guy, the the kid from yeah, the played the older brother on the Wonder Years, and he was also yes. in uh, Scrooge. Oh yeah, yeah. He also looks like. The two of them. Yeah, you're right. I was for some reason I thought maybe it was Belby Jacoby that was <laughs> no, in Scourged. I was like, ah, <laughs> it's the they kids. just they, he, they have that look. Yeah, and it's even they even look like the kid from Big. Like it's to like a certain this Buster degree. Brown look. It's yeah. just kind of like this. Hey, and they all have the kind of way of talking. Hair, it's kind of yeah. like I'm a fast talking weirdo. And they're all they're all kind of. Uh, I mean, not the kid from Big so much, but like they're all that kind of like you know. Oh, I, I I don't like authority, and I'm just going to do my own thing because yeah, I'm a kid. just kind of have this thing going on. I did just see Bobby Jacoby in The Golden Girls, which Phoebe and I are watching. Uh, him playing, like, a grandson who's just, like, shows up and is like, I'm out, and then, like, goes and gets in trouble. and He's like precocious. And Blanche, I think it was Blanche's grandkid. Sure. She has to, like, lay the law down or something. Yeah, and, she does. Yeah. And, of course, they all grow to love him and blah, blah, blah. Because and, they're uh, Golden Girls. They're, it's a, that is a show. Way better show than I remember it being. It's a great it's show. So I I've intermittently seen it when it was on. I haven't watched it since. Oh, it's but so good. What a great! Ca- I mean, look, you got Betty White. You have B. Uh, Arthur. B. Arthur. Uh, uh, Rue McClanahan. Oh my god! Just a- and uh, uh, oh man, the old lady who's not an old lady. Right, the, the one that was like the youngest would play the <laughs> oldest. Uh, no, actually, Blanche was the youngest. She was fifty-one when she was doing uh, Golden Girls. Oh, good Lord, now I feel old. Uh, Rue McClanahan. The others were in their sixties. Yeah, but it, a fun show. It's a great show. With great cast. I, I'm just, I love it way more than I thought I would. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's just one nice. of those weird, giddy things. Nice I'm thing. like, ah. Maybe you can rewatch Reba after this. Hey, there you go. Let's got to find it. Hopefully it's or, on some or, stream. Or murder, she wrote. <laughs> uh, so uh, Robert Jane, as he goes by now, not Bobby Jacoby, he has spent his adult life cultivating a career in real estate development and construction strategy expertise. Okay. Uh, recognized as a spatial design expert, his work has been featured in the LA Times. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's just if it's weird, like, that kid? Really? He pivoted, man. In 1998, Jane became a world-class blackjack player and played blackjack professionally with a team of well-known card counters from 2000 to 2005. Damn. In his 2010 book, Repeat Until Rich, Josh Axelrad describes his experiences in Las Vegas with Jane and a team of card counters as they use big player and call-in tactics to win millions of dollars. Damn. Jane became a well-known player and was entered into a blacklist by the Griffin Agency, known for supplying intelligence information to casinos regarding players that can, quote-unquote, hurt the casino by winning money. Nice. Uh, under the name Bobby J, Jane played in the very first World Series of Blackjack. Okay, what an interesting guy. Uh, Jacoby's last credits are appearing in the first three movies of the Mythica series, which was distributed internationally by Highland Film Group, a company that I used to work for. The hell is the Mythica series? Uh, it's a really awful fantasy series. Oh, okay. <laughs> really not good. Uh, there were like five of them. It was a lot. They, they, these guys would make them for like $500,000. Okay. We would sell them internationally for a million bucks, and it was like, hey, we made money. Let's make another one. Bing, bang, boom. Yep. Uh, Charlotte Stewart was cast as Nancy Sterngood. Uh, she was the mother of the uh, little girl that was um, pogoing. Mindy Sterngood? Mindy? Yeah. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Mindy's the daughter. Oh, Mindy. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. I, yes. <laughs> Didn't sorry. mean to throw you off. I thought I got, I thought I got Nancy's name wrong. I, I don't know. Uh, Stewart is most famous for her role as the school teacher Eva Beadle Sims on Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, And her work with director David Lynch, including playing Betty Briggs on Twin Peaks mm-hmm. and Mary in Eraserhead. Oh, God. Have you seen Eraserhead? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I saw it, I saw it on the big screen. We got to lynch it. We got to lynch it up Oh, I know. Soon. We definitely have to do we a lynch. We got to lynch month. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Me too. Um, but, God, that yeah. in... Uh, Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet, and then uh, Mulholland Drive. 
Which okay. is a little later. Yeah. I, I didn't love Mulholland Drive. I liked it. I haven't seen it in a long time, so I know a lot of people that really love that movie. Sure. So I'd... Anyway. Uh, Charlotte Stewart can most recently be seen in Twin Peaks The Return. Nice. Uh, Ariana Richards as Mindy Sterngood, Nancy's daughter. Richards made her acting debut in 1987's Into the Homeland, a made-for-cable release that starred Powers Booth. Powers Booth. Powers Booth. In 1989, she had a supporting role as Car- Carol Weatherby in Prancer. Yeah, about a horse. Remember Prancer? No, no. Was Prancer, Prancer was about, was about the... the... <laughs> About Santa Claus's reindeer. reindeer. Yes, didn't it get lost and she had to help yeah, answer? Yeah, had to bring it. Yeah. Okay. Her most notable appearance was as Lex Murphy in the first Jurassic Park film. So funny. Which <laughs> she was like, she looks just like the girl from Jurassic Park. <laughs> I didn't know that actors did other roles. She just recently redid her Jello Jiggle from Jurassic Park. Oh yeah. You know when she's about to eat the thing and she's like. And she starts shaking when she sees a raptor. She did like a side-by-side comparison oh, really? as an older person. Oh, doing. It was really great. It was really funny. She has uh, a good sense of humor. She's been featured in other films such as Angus, where she played a high school cheerleader. She also appeared on television episodes of The Golden Girls, Empty Nest, and Boy Meets World. Ooh, you'll have to let me know when you run in there on The Golden Girls. I'm excited. She's really good. Uh, in addition to acting in movies, Richards appeared in the 1997 music video Brick by Ben Folds 5, portraying a high school student having an abortion. I really like Ben Folds 5. Oh, my God. They were so good. Also, I just... Really quickly, Angus is a really great movie, yes, too. And yes. if you have a chance, it's a sleeper. Check that out. Such a good movie. She stopped acting after appearing in uh, Tremors 3, Back to Perfection, but expressed interest in wanting to come back to acting in, in a 2006 interview. She would appear in the TV film Battle Dogs in 2013, starring Dennis Haysbert, Henry Hudson, and Bill Duke. Okay, good cast. And unfortunately, she has not acted since. Oh, well, maybe she'll come back. I, she's really good. I mean, I've, I've, I mean, here she's much younger, but she was great in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Like, I, she's a good actor. I'm... Tony Gennaro was cast as Miguel. Oh yeah, uh, the one, the one character in this movie that always forgets in the movie. <laughs> well, he's very subtle, and he's just kind of there. Yeah, yeah, he's just there. You he know. survives, doesn't he? I think so. Yeah. I think he makes it. Gennaro is a character actor who appeared in La Bamba in the Milagro Beanfield War before Tremors. He was so good in the Milagro Beanfield War. Yep. Since Tremors, he worked with Ron Underwood a number of times in Hearts and Minds in 1983, Speechless in 1994, and Mighty Joe Young in 1997. Oh, Mighty Joe Young. Yeah, we'll talk about that. He would also appear in The Craft, Phenomenon, The Mask of Zorro, Double Take, Anger Management, World Trade Center, and The Soloist. Good. Uh, he died at home in 2014, the age of 72. Oh, yeah, he had a long, he had a good career. Uh, Richard Marcus was Nestor Cunningham, the local resident yeah. who does what? get killed. Yeah, what is up with Nestor, man? It's weirdo. Uh, Marcus is most well known for a recurring role on Saint Elsewhere between 1982 and 1986, and for appearing in 45 episodes of The Pretender from 96 to 2000. His last role was in the TV series Hawthorne in 2009, starring Jada Pinkett Smith. Okay. Yeah, he, he's a goon. He's like, he was the, I would say the weakest part of the cast. Well, there was, the thing is, is they cut some scenes out between Nestor and the dude who, who goes up and dehydrates himself to death. Oh, like, right, Like, there right. was a whole scene that they cut out that would have explained more of the relationship between the two of them. and like Old Fred. Yeah, old Fred. Um, but anyway, yeah. Well, that's a shame. Know. Old he's, Fred got his, his pretty much cut out of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, Victor Wong was cast as Walter Chang. Victor Wong, baby. Um, Pat Morita was asked to play Walter Chang, but due to his success in the Karate Kid films, wanted too much money for the part. Of course he did. Oh, Pat Morita. Uh, Victor Wong was eventually cast as he was willing to work for what the budget could afford. And and look, no offense to Pat Morita, but Victor Wong is a much better actor. 
I agree. I agree. Wong appeared in supporting roles in films throughout the 80s and 90s, including Chinese sorcerer Egg Shen in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China in 1986. What's going on here, Egg? <laughs> Listen to our episode, our podcast episode on that movie. Uh, learn more about Wong and the movie's so good. Uh, Royal advisor Chen Bao Shen in the, big, in the Best Picture winning The Last Emperor in 1987. And Grandpa Mori in The Three Ninjas Tetralogy from 1992 to 1998. Tetralogy, nice pull. He also played several starring roles for independent filmmaker Wayne Wang, who described him as his quote-unquote alter ego. The guy was a powerhouse. Such a great, great actor. Such a likable guy. Yes. Had a very difficult life, but was just... Amazing in everything he did. Earlier in his career, Wong worked for KQED in San Francisco as an on-air reporter and later a pioneering photojournalist. Awesome. His association with Mark Rothko, the abstract painter whom he met during his studies at the San Francisco Art Institute, saw him interact with several luminaries of the Beat Generation, including Jack Kerouac, who fictionalized him as Arthur Ma in his novel Big Sur. What a life this guy's had. He's a character in a in a Jack Kerouac novel. That's like, awesome. It's crazy. And I love I love Rothko. I, he's the, the, the weird abstractness. Oh, yeah. Up, up my alley. Uh, in Tremors, Chang's market was originally written as belonging to a Vietnamese owner and named accordingly, but Victor Wong said, Well, I'm Chinese. Can we change it? So they did. Nice. His son, musician, musician Lion Wong, died in 1986 after being attacked by a young man while walking home in Sacramento. That's awful. Wong was asked to film the prologue scene for Big Trouble in China shortly after Lion's wake. Oh. After shooting the scene, Wong suffered his first stroke. Jesus. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, on September 11th, 2001, Wong and his wife spent the day trying to get news of Wong's sons, who lived in New York City. Uh, they were unharmed. Good. After she went to sleep, Wong stayed up to continue following the news. And unfortunately, he died of a myocardial infarction at some point during the early hours of September 12th, 2001, at the age of 74. Wow. I wonder if, I mean, he's basically a, another victim of yeah. 9 11. Yeah. It's just sad. He was so good. God, he was so good. Yeah. Oh, 74. That's young. Yeah. Uh, Bibi Besh was cast as Megan Wallace, the local doctor's wife. Uh, she's best known for her portrayal of Dr. Carol Marcus on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, in 1982. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Her other notable film roles were in Who's That Girl in 1987, starring Madonna and Griffin Dunn. Steel Magnolias in 1989, starring Sally Field, Shirley MacLaine, Olympia Dukakis, Dolly Parton, Daryl Hannah, and Julia Roberts. Uh, Besh also appeared in a number of television productions, including the realistic nuclear apocalypse television film The Day After in 1983. That's where I remembered her from. Uh, please listen to our episode about The Day After <laughs> to learn more about B.B. Besh. After, and the first season of the Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy show. You might be reading it. I did not that watch Jeff that sitcom. <laughs> yes, okay. that was him. Yes. If you got a TV on top of another TV, oh, you might be reading it. In Tremors, the scene where the car is being swallowed into the soil was originally supposed to be longer, with B.B. Besh kicking out the front window, climbing on the hood, and then getting submerged in the sand, which is actually what Jim suggested. Yeah. Why doesn't she just get out? Yes. Uh, however, the effect that was used to suck the car in wouldn't work properly, and there was no more nighttime to shoot the remainder of the scene. Mm, it still so works. They just cut it down. Yeah. Uh, Beach re uh, Besh received two Primetime Emmy Award nominations in 1992 for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a min Miniseries or Special in... in Doing time on Maple Drive. Okay. Yep. In the 1993 for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series in Northern Exposure. Yes, yes. I remember her from that, too. She's so good. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, she died of breast cancer on September 7th, 1996, at 54 years old. Oh, my God. That is so young. Awful. Awful. Uh, Conrad Bachman was cast as Dr. Jim Wallace, the town's doctor. 
Uh, Bachman guested on many TV shows. The Many Loves of Toby Gillis, The Rogues, Mannix, Mod Squad, Mission Impossible, Van Dyke and Company, playing Gerald Ford, Spenders Pilots, The Rockford Files, Eight is Enough, Stowski and Hutch, Little House on the Prairie, Charlie's Angels, Lou Grant, Tales of the Golden Monkey, St. Elsewhere, Dallas, Highway to Heaven, Murder, She Wrote, Dynasty, Scarecrow and Mr. King, and Hunter. Scarecrow, Mr. King. It's a very, very, very different King. movie. Yeah. A different show. Uh, he's appeared in over 400 commercials and was Bing Crosby's stunt double in the 1966 remake of Stagecoach. That's so cool. And this is where I learned that there was a remake of Stagecoach starring Bing Crosby. Yeah. Not as good. What? <laughs> in the 1995 film Outbreak, he played the governor of California. Uh, he most recently can be seen in The Wedding Pack 2, The Baby Pack. Such a good movie. If you haven't seen... I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's, I think it's a, a Netflix original thing or something. Well, good but, for him for still he's, acting. He's still working. Yeah. Good Lord. I mean, he seemed old back then. Yeah. Uh, Sunshine Parker was cast as Edgar Deems. Uh, he typically typically played minor roles as either a bum or an old codger slash geezer stock character. Like Edward Deems? Edgar Deems? Edgar Deems? Yeah. He's, he's got that beard, man. Yeah. He's got that crazy old coot beard. He's got a coot beard. Uh, he appeared as three different characters on Bonanza, five different characters on Little House on the Prairie, and three different characters on Aftermash. Ooh, Aftermash, the greatest show on TV. He was the hobo in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. They sit on the edge of the train car and sing songs together. He's so good. Uh, he also played Emmett, the long-bearded landowner in the Patrick Swayze action movie Roadhouse. Pain don't hurt. One of his last appearances was in The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. in 1993. Such an underrated show starring Bruce oh, Campbell. Such a good show. He died of pneumonia at the age of 71 in 1999. Ugh. Yeah. So the creatures for Tremors were designed by Amalgamated Dynamics. Amalgamated Dynamics. Sounds like a <laughs> robot. Sounds like it came straight out of T2. Yeah, it's yeah. like Boston Dynamics. Is that the one that makes all those yeah, crazy robots? The, yeah. Robots. Robots. Uh, the full-scale graboid seen after being dug up by Val was cast in lightweight foam. It was placed in a trench and buried and dug up again to achieve the desired used effect. Look great. Uh, just a little bit about Amalgamated Dynamics. They were founded in 1988. Uh, Tremors was only the second movie they ever made effects for. God, that's crazy. Yeah, it's big. Notable work includes Death Becomes Her, for which they won an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. So cool. Like, for such the a time, great movie. Oh, my God. Such a good movie. Uh, Bruce Willis and Goldie Hawn and Meryl, Meryl Streep. Streep. Yeah. Such a fun, such weird, a dark great. movie. But, like, the shots with the, like... She, they blow the hole into the middle of her. She's looking through, her. through it. Like, it was for the time. It was groundbreaking. It was great. Yeah. Oh, the really? falling, like falling down the stairs oh and God, breaking the... everything, and like, oh, so such good. a cool, such a, a, a departure for both Streep and Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Yeah. And and a really understated good performance by Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis. It's so good. You I mean, we'll, we'll that he's a really good actor. Yeah. Oh, he's so he was so so understated in that movie. If you haven't seen it, definitely check oh, that so movie good. out. Uh, they also did the effects for Starship Troopers, which was also nominated for an Oscar. Excellent. Excellent uh, effects. And the practical creature effects seen in the Alien franchise from Alien 3 and on. Great. They're yeah. great. They did great work. In 2013, Amalgamated Dynamics successfully ran a Kickstarter campaign to fund their independent horror movie titled Harbinger Down. Uh, the film was released in August 2015 and features exclusively practical creature effects. Cool. I've never seen it. I would like to see it. Yeah, I would too. I... That's the one thing I do miss is is even though some of them were goofy, practical effects just really add to the real. You yeah, know, yeah. The it's realism, like if these were yeah. all CG 
things, it wouldn't I, have been as uh, well, effective. You, uh, you watch later Tremors movies to right. see how ineffective okay. <laughs> it is. Ineffective. So uh, they didn't keep doing the Tremors. I guess I don't could. think so. I, I, I'm pretty sure when when it went to direct to video, they started making it was cheaper at that time to do CG. Sure, but. Uh, the impetus for the project Harbinger Down began when uh, uh, ADI, Amalgamated Dynamics, Dynamics, were frustrated that their practical effects for the Thing prequel, which tried to follow closely to the ones featured in the original 1982 film, had been mostly digitally replaced with computer-generated imagery by order of the studio. Yeah, that's bullshit. It, in, in, incorrect choice. Uh, horribly incorrect choice, because that's another thing where that movie... The practical, the practical effects in the original thing still hold up yes. today. Yes. They're still scary and spooky and gross. And the fact that you, you hired a special effects yeah. company that's like, we want to do that and better. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, nah, we're just going to cover everything with CGI. Arguably the best creature effects company working today. Yeah. And they yeah. said, this is why that Bad. movie didn't do well. No. Agreed. Agreed. It didn't feel real. Hey, guys. <sighs> hey, it's Bob. 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 Executive. Did you, did you work on the thing? I did. I consulted. I just came in as an effects consultant. I don't really know anything about effects, but I was like, why do you need practical effects? Just just make it, you know, just make it in, you but, know. But, Bob, you realize that they had already done all the practical effects. You just covered them with CGI. You know, that's what I like to do. I like to come in and cover good stuff with crap. <laughs> it's basically an executive zone. So. All right. description. Uh, I, I think I hear your kid knocking on the window of your car. Which, uh, which one? I think it's the middle child. Mm, he's trouble. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> God damn. I hate him so <laughs> well, much. He's ruined so many movies. Uh, so the entire town was constructed from scratch, built near the town of Lone Pine, California. Uh, that's what blows me away is that that first shot, that was all constructed. Yeah. The whole town. It's crazy. Uh, there are only two interior sets in the entire movie, Walter's store and Bert and Heather's basement. Every other shot is exterior. Yeah, it's crazy. So good. Uh, composer Ernest Truce's musical score for the film went mostly unused. The studio thought it was... Too goofy. And cut most of it, later hiring composer Robert Folk to write a new score that was more... Serious and action-y. Despite his contributions, Folk ultimately went uncredited. Oh. And it's so obvious when there's action scenes and then it's like the like full-on synth kind of going. Yeah. And then and then otherwise it's the character stuff and it's like more of a country music western. There's some harmonica going. It's so, yeah. Uh, Tremors was set for a November 1989 release. However, the MPA gave the film an R rating owing to language, and the creators decided at the last minute to make the film more commercially available. Uh. Over 20 or so uses of the F word were either cut or redubbed with softer words. Examples include... Can you fly, you sucker? And... We killed that mother humper! Among several others. I also like that... Yeah, there's more mother humpers. I like how they, you know... <laughs> the little, they had to cut away from humper. the mouth yeah, really yeah. quick. They had to cut away from his face before he said it. Uh, the film was pushed back to allow more time for editing, and the film was eventually released in January 1990 with a PG-13 rating. I truly believe that's a mistake, because horror movies do better when there are. Because people feel that PG-13 horror movies are watered down or not as scary. It, it makes more sense for someone to to say MFR rather than Mother Humper. Yes. It just takes me out of it. It's like if you watch The Big Lebowski yeah. on TV, yeah. Yeah. and, you know... <laughs> When the the line, this is what happens when you F a stranger in the ass. Yeah. And it's like, 
the, I can't remember the, the replacement. But it, it, it just like, doesn't. It doesn't make. I, I, when you meet a stranger in the grass, yeah, or something yeah, so it was stupid. The best example of that. Is the, the, them cutting, and I think I've talked about this before, was when Joe Pesci kills the guy with the pencil yeah. at the bar. It's like literally the camera goes to him, and you see him grab the pencil, and then it cuts to just this dude in a pile of blood. And it's like, what just happened? Joe Pesci, his character was lightning fast. He had a superpower. It's just, yeah, it's it's silly. To this day and age, the whole language thing, I, whatever. I mean, I get it for kids. But still, it's just their words. It kills the realism for me. I don't. I mean, it not in this. It. I didn't miss anything no, really. No. I mean, but it's like it actually added to the charm. Honestly, when Kevin Bacon repeats back "Mother Humper," I was like, "Oh, okay." It's still fine, and they still snuck a couple of effies in. They there. did. They did. They did. And now you're only allowed one, but back then they they snuck a couple in. Yeah, they got twos. Yeah, and a lot of and a lot of s's, a lot of shit. Oh yeah. Well, that was. I love they replaced the f word with shit. It's like to me, it's like, well, isn't that not? It just anyway. it's so bizarre to me. <laughs> yeah. The these bad words. It is so bizarre. The concept of bad words is just ridiculous I know. to me. I know. Ridiculous. A word is a word. It, it is. has a meaning. It's a bad word. If I'm using that word, I'm using it for a reason. Sure. But it's just it's like that look, we don't typically use the F word on this show no. because we want to make it for everybody, but it's just to me. That type of censorship is just really bizarre. It's, it's, it's just the words, people. I know, I know. Uh, Wilson and Maddock later stated they were very happy with the decision to make Tremors appeal to a more family-friendly audience rather than an adult-oriented audience. Sure, because it, you can honestly enjoy this movie with your kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, older kids. You don't want to... Yeah, well, not five-year-olds. <laughs> no, but when your kid's ten, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like it'll be a fun little adventure movie to watch with your kids. Tremors opened on January 19th, 1990 in 1,457 theaters against no new releases and debuted at the number five spot behind Born on the Fourth of July, Tango and Cash, The War of the Roses, and Internal Affairs, grossing $3.7 million in its opening weekend. Tango and Cash. I love that movie so much. It's so awful. Me too. It's so good. It is not awful. It is awesome. It is a guilty pleasure because it's not a good movie. No, but it's the, it's, it's you get to see a... Uh... <laughs> it's when you get to see Sylvester Sloan. Trying to be a actually. quick talking guy. Ooh. Everybody, I'm going to talk with the quick. Yeah, that doesn't help any. It dropped to number six on its second week, but would stay in the top ten for four weeks before finally dropping to number 11 in week five. With its $10 million budget, Tremors flopped at the box office, earning only $16.6 million, far below projected numbers. In 2019, Kevin Bacon hinted that Tremors only made a fifth of what the charts at Universal said it would. Its creators blamed the subpar theatrical performance on its marketing campaign. Yeah, you think? S.S. Wilson felt that the film was not well promoted once its release date was delayed, while Brent Maddox stated the theatrical trailer was... Cringeworthy! ...and likely deterred audience. Yeah, it is. If you have a chance, go on YouTube and watch the original trailer for Tremors. It is not indicative of what the movie is. It's been a while since I've seen it. I'll have to watch it. Uh, Roger Ebert gave the film three and a half out of four stars, admitting he was embarrassed. He enjoyed it so much, saying, Tremor succeeds in the fact that it puts its focus on fun characters instead of the creatures attacking them. And he called it goofy, a goofy, dumb, fun movie. He liked it the same reasons that we did. Exactly. Because when you, when you're making a, a, a B quote, quotes yeah. movie, 
the best thing you can do is concentrate on the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's going to get the people to love it. They will forgive effects. They will forgive yeah. all sorts of things if they have a bunch of people that they really like and they want to root for. Exactly. Gene Siskel initially gave the film a negative review, stating, A little of it goes an awfully long way. There are just so many tricks, though, that you can do with the worms. Tremors would make a cute short subject. It doesn't sustain itself for an entire film. However, in a rare change of heart for Siskel, he later reevaluated the film two years later, saying, This picture has grown on me. I think it is worth a second viewing. There is a spirit of good fun there. Tremors is one of the B-movies to get the formula right. I highly recommend it. Well, good for him. Good, good look, for him for The realism. one thing, look, yeah. I make a lot of fun of them. I have a love-hate relationship with those boys. But I will give, I will give them credit because both of them mm-hmm. would revisit films and be like, ah, it's a much better thing than I initially thought it yeah. was. I just I love that Tremors not only won over Gene Siskel but also Kevin Bacon, yes. who was in the movie. Like it's one of those movies. The more you watch it, the more you love it. You can't not like the movie. While only a modest hit at the box office, Tremors wanted to become a massive hit on home video purchases, rentals, and television, becoming one of the most rented films of 1990. Oh yeah, I worked in a video store at that time, and everybody was wanting Tremors. Because of this, it gained a very large cult following over the years. Tremors debuted on VHS on April 1st, 1990, on Laserdisc on April 16th, 1996. Greatest format ever. Which was my 18th birthday. And on DVD on April 28th, 1998, with a Blu-ray on November 9th, 2010. And then more uh, 4K Blu-rays, and then uh, they just keep doing more and more of them. Good! <laughs> they I keep selling. Laserdisc. No problem. Uh, the eventual success of this film on home video is what inspired Billy Crystal to hire Ron Underwood to direct his next film, the even more successful City Slickers in 1991. Well, anything was going to be more successful than... I know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, City Slickers isn't a better movie. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I, I you know, it's, it's a good midlife crisis movie of guys that are... 10 years younger than either of us. Yeah. That's so sad. Uh, Crystal, who was also a producer on that film, wanted frequent collaborator Rob Reiner to direct it, but Reiner passed and suggested Underwood, who was a possible directorial candidate at the time because of his work on Tremors. Yeah, I don't want to do it. I have, I'm too busy trying to get cigarettes out of every place in the world. Crystal viewed the movie and enjoyed it so much, he immediately approved Underwood to direct City Slickers. Uh, this is also the irony that he couldn't ask Jack Palance to be in... Tremors because he was scared of him and then eventually directed him in City Slickers. Oh, oh my God. Okay. You were thinking of a I was movie, thinking of you? Donald Pleasance. I wasn't thinking of Jack oh. Palance. I thought no. when you said Jack Palance, I thought Donald Pleasance, which I thought was no. a bizarre. Jack Palance would have been great as. Still, still a little too old. And also not as charming or likable. Like he, Not as likable at all. No. He's got a very. Yeah. We well, about you did Tango and Cash. Cash. Uh, I mean, he's, and don't get me wrong, Jack Palance is great. Loved him. Loved him. MF was I doing one-handed push-ups at the Oscars at like 80. I don't think he would have been better as oh, no. Earl. No. Uh, Fred Ward owned that part. Owned it. Yeah. Underwood would eventually direct Mighty Joe Young with incredibly advanced special effects, but cost $90 million to make and made back about $50 million at the box office. Yeah, starring Charlize Theron in one of yeah. her first starring movies. And although Although that technology they used did eventually, Peter Jackson cribbed all of it oh, and yeah. used it for King his Kong. King, King Kong. <laughs> After failures of The Adventures of Pluto Nash in 2002. Good Lord. And In the Mix, starring Usher in 2005. Okay. Underwood found his groove with TV. Yeah, he did. He has directed episodes of... Monk, 
Boston Legal, Reaper, The Secret Life of the American Teenager, Ugly Betty, Eli Stone, Drop Dead Diva, Heroes, Castle, Burn Notice, Desperate Housewives, Once Upon a Time, Scandal, Grey's Anatomy, Nashville, Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., Hawaii Five-0, The Good Fight, MacGyver, Magnum P.I., The Bad One, Fear of a Walking Dead, and Evil. Yeah, oh, great shows. It's also the new MacGyver, too, so I mean, it's not... Uh, I don't yeah. care about MacGyver. It ain't no Magnum P.I. Yeah, well. But, uh, but Evil is a great show. A good friend of ours, yeah. uh, Marty Matulis, plays the monsters on Evil. Yeah. He's also yeah. in uh, one of the Star Wars shows as a pirate. Yeah, Mandalorian. Mandalorian. He yeah. played uh, some guy. Zoosh, or Cops. <laughs> I don't remember his name. They didn't, he wasn't in it enough. <laughs> Gloop. But he has a figure in it, in a, like a Lego ship. And he does go to conventions as well. Yeah, hey, way to go, Marty. Him and uh, Michael Gross hang out yeah, together. That'd be awesome. I hope so. If you're hanging out with Michael Gross, Marty, give us a call. Give us an that update. That would be amazing. Due to the success of the Tremors home video, a bunch of direct-to-video movies were made. A sequel, Tremors 2 Aftershocks, was released in 1996. Fred Ward and Michael Gross came back with Earl being hired to hunt graboids in Mexico. Nice, because it's cheaper to film there. I've never seen Tremors 2. I uh, did. The movie introduces a new graboid type called Shriekers. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by S.S. Wilson and written by Wilson and Maddock. The second sequel, Tremors 3, Back to Perfection, was released in 2001. Michael Gross, Charlotte Stewart, Ariana Richards, Tony Gennaro, and Robert Jane reprised their roles from the first film. I saw that. I think this was the last that one, one that I saw. Because I, yeah. I was a huge, still am a huge Tremors fan, so I yeah, was going to give yeah. the sequels a sure, shot. Sure, sure. Uh, the film introduces a new graboid mutation known as Ass Blasters, oh, which are propelled into flight by combustible flatulence. All right. Oh, jump in the shark. <laughs> jump in the shark stalked, with your fart monsters. Talked by an albino sterile graboid known as El Blanco. Okay. It's up to Bert and the townsfolk to save their town. Uh, the movie was actually directed by Brent Maddock. Uh, Brent Maddock and uh, S.S. Wilson and uh, Ron Underwood created a, a production company called Stampede Entertainment. So they did a bunch of these and a bunch of other stuff. I'm pretty sure there was a Tremors marathon that I watched, and I've seen. Oh, I think yeah. I've seen all of these. Yeah. In 2003, the franchise spawned a television show called Tremors: The Series. The show aired in 2003 on the Sci-Fi Channel, but was canceled after one season. Uh, the episodes were actually aired out of chrono- chronological order, making it very confusing to watch. Wait, was Michael Gross in the show? Yes. Nice. It's a sequel to Tremors Three, starring Michael Gross and Dean Norris. Nice. Dean Norris, of all people. <laughs> well, Dean Norris uh, yeah. did a lot of work before <laughs> he did, he Breaking did. Bad. He did. And a lot of work since. Uh, it was created by the original creative team of Maddock, Wilson, and Underwood. The next film was a prequel, Tremors 4, The Legend Begins in 2004. Yeah, it's a Western. I did see this one. <laughs> Set in 1889, it depicts the town of Rejection, which is the location that would later be renamed Perfection. Uh, it stars Michael Gross as Hiram Gummer, the great-grandfather of the character Burt Gummer. Yes, it does. Uh, it was written by Scott Buck, who has written for... Six Feet Under, Rome, Showtime's Dexter, Everybody Loves Raymond, Coach, Inhumans, The Oblongs, and Iron Fist. And it was also directed by S.S. Wilson. Uh, it's just, I thought it was really funny. <laughs> this guy who wrote for, like, Six Feet Under wrote Tremors 4. I know, and Rome, and Dexter. Yeah, Dexter. I mean, uh, Coach. Yeah. Coach, yeah. I, people seem to enjoy Everybody Loves Raymond. I don't think I've ever seen an episode of the show. It's uh, fine. It's Oblongs? Fine. Oblongs funny. is really funny. It's very, very dark. Yeah. Uh, following an 11-year gap, Tremors 5 Bloodlines was released in 2015. Oh, that was a dark 11 years, man, with no Tremor <laughs> movies. The film stars Michael Gross reprising his role as Burt Gummer, now a star in his own survivalist web series, and his new cameraman, Travis Welker, played by Jamie Kennedy, who reveals that he is the son of Burt from a one-night stand 40 years earlier. 
They are approached by the South African Wildlife Ministry, who hired them to deal with ass blasters in South Africa. Oh, God. Do you see what's happening with the series? Oh, How many scenes was Jamie Kennedy and his tidy whities just being? I will give Jamie Kennedy this. I will give him the Scream movies, which I really enjoyed. I was going to say, this is not the last time we talk about him this month. And I will give him Bowfinger, which I thought he was great in. I think Jamie Kennedy is good. I think, you know, he got a little bit too famous and and, and leaned into this annoying thing. uh, He he peaked in Scream, and then he just tried to play that character in everything. Yeah, and that character got really old really fast. Yes. Uh, No, but still, again, Jamie Kennedy, talented kid, just a, a, a victim of his own. Yeah, yeah. A 60-minute pilot for a second television series, also titled Tremors, was filmed in 2017, but no further episodes of the show were ever filmed. Oh. Uh, Kevin Bacon was actually hired to reprise his role from the first film. So weird. Uh, it was directed by Vincenzo Natali, the guy who directed Cube, and more recently the Stephen King and Joe Hill adaptation In the Tall Grass. What's that? In the Tall Grass? Yeah. It was a Netflix thing. It's been on for a while. I, must I think it's got a um, um, dude who played the Punisher... Uh, Thomas Jane? Thomas Jane, isn't it? Really? Mm, no, and I'm That's thinking of 1922. In the Tall Grass is literally, it's it's kind of like, um, I haven't seen it yet, but it's it's very similar to, uh, uh, oh God, that the, the movie, the Vines or whatever, with the kids that go down to South Africa and they right. get stuck on a thing. Mm-hmm. In the Tall Grass, the grass is alive and oh. it like, kills people when you go into it. I wonder if yeah. I've seen this. It seems like it's something I would watch if it's a Stephen King. It's a Stephen King. King and Joe Hill thing, so I assumed you had. I just love Vincenzo Natale. Yeah. The first Cube movie is one of my favorite things of all time. It was a great movie. Such a good movie. And, and so much done with so little. Yeah. The following year in April, Bacon said via his Instagram account that... The network has decided not to move forward. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, I don't think this is available. I'll have to try to find it, but I don't think the pilot's available anywhere. I'd like to see it. Yeah. Uh, the franchise's sixth inclusion, Tremors, A Cold Day in Hell, came out in 2018. The film takes place in Nunavut territory in Canada with Bert and Travis tasked with fighting graboids in the snow. Nice. Obviously, Michael Gross and Jamie Kennedy come back. Uh, the dream team. <laughs> Another direct-to-video <laughs> sequel, Tremors Shrieker Island, was released in October 2020. Uh, Michael Gross returns along with a new face, John Heater. From Napoleon Dynamite? Yep. Okay, I'm down. I like John Heater. It takes place on Dark Island with Travis's mother from the One Night Stand learning about graboids and studying them on the island. Uh, John Heater, I think, is is like another, his assistant or something, because Jamie Kennedy did not come back. Uh, Was was Jamie Kennedy too big for it now? He wasn't as big of a star as John Heater. (laughs) Uh, but spoiler, uh, Burt Gummer finally dies at the end of the no! movie. Yeah. No, that's like killing off Luke Skywalker. But the fifth, sixth, and seventh movies had no involvement from the original creative team of Maddock, Wilson, and Underwood, as Universal wanted complete creative control of the film. So it's not canon. Despite dying at the end of the seventh movie, Michael Gross hasn't ruled out another sequel. He said, The door is still open for an eighth Tremors. It may seem unlikely by what people saw on screen, but it is possible. There could be an eighth, and if there were... And if, I, and if it were an interesting story, I would be up for it because Bert is always a great deal of fun. It would depend on his physicality, how much they want me to do. If it's another two years, I'll be 75 years old. So I will continue to hope and pray that I stay in shape to do what is asked of me. If it is asked of me. Michael Gross seems like the nicest man alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he's he the father of Michael his fans, yeah. man. Like, he gets his fans. Like, he has just had so much fun playing because it got it gets so ridiculous by the end and then the last movie 
was released straight to Netflix. Oh, wow. So it's on Netflix. Well, I got to check it out. Um, Shrieker Island. <laughs> I mean, I want to see it. I, I might have watched it. Because I, 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 Tremors has always been a guilty pleasure of mine. Yeah. I've always liked the movies. I'm not the, I've watched the movies. I love the original. There's None of them capture it at all. No. I think the reason why it was so successful, or, or you know, cult-wise, yeah. after they the debacle of <laughs> the not release. marketing it correctly, yeah. is because it harkens back to so many things of being a child, especially the whole floor is lava concept. Yeah. Where you yeah. can't step on the ground, and you have these creatures that are impenetrable, you know, yep. there's just and, – and they're believable, and you could see this happening. They get smarter as yep. the movie goes. Like, well, they've been around for millions of years. I well, mean, they, or they're aliens. Well, we don't know. If you haven't seen Tremors, watch it. You're going to love it's it. It's so much fun. And it's also something that you can watch with anybody. Any, yeah. Your parents, yeah. your kids. It's, it's, it's not gratuitous. It's not no, no. Uh, super bloody. I mean, there's bloody gross parts to it. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's definitely some grossness to it. There's some language to it, but it's just a charming, fun film Such about a, a group movie. of weirdos who get trapped <laughs> in the middle of nowhere in this crap little town it is, by giant it is sandworms. My absolute favorite, like you said at the beginning, Stephen King does this a lot, where it's just a group of characters yeah. that suddenly have to deal with something. Oh, yeah. And they have to figure, they can't get away, they have to figure out how to deal with it. And, and a great opening shot of Kevin Bacon taking a pee. Yeah. The whole the off of the cliff, the, pee off the of cliff, cliff where they end up shooting the the yeah. graboid out into the into the exactly lake. foreshadowing. Can you fly, Mother Humper? Yeah, Mother Humper. Um, oh, yeah. it's such a good movie. Highly recommend it. Great way to pop off our '90s horror uh, month. Uh, this one's great. I think this would be strangely enough. I think this would be a fun double feature. With Alien. I agree. I totally agree. I think uh, maybe watch Alien first. Yes. And then Tremors afterwards, because it's going to be a lot more fun. Uh, Tremors is when you, you start open up that fifth beer. Yes. <laughs> like you're like, or that yeah. blunt comes out, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're so inclined. But yeah, I mean, again, just really fun, likable performances. Just a movie that's breezy and fun, and it's going to entertain you and take you on a ride that you want to go on, that you're going to want to go on, and you're going to want all of these. I was so bummed. Spoiler alert: when Walter died. Yeah, it was so I sad. Know, I know. He was my favorite He's character. Such a great character. Why didn't they kill Miguel? Who cares about Tony Gennaro? Here we go. Tremors is awesome. Check it out. We'll see you next week when we come back. With uh, a little candy man. Watch out for the bees! Kevin Bacon's wife, Kira? Kira. Kira. Kira Kira Sedgwick. If you haven't seen Short Circuits, it's such a great movie. If you haven't seen Shortcuts or Short Circuits, (laughs) The Many Lives of Dope. Oh, shit. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program, Garfield and Friends, already in progress.